Welcome to another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yalbron, lead pastor of One Community Church located in El Dorado, Arkansas. For information about the ministry of Pastor Jason or One Community Church, please visit our website at occeldorado.com. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching One Community Church El Dorado. Today I want to continue with the message series that we started last weekend called the Book of Acts. Last weekend we were in Acts chapter 1. Today we will be in Acts chapter 2. And where we're about to read, the disciples are in the same room where they had the the Last Supper approximately 50 days before. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, everybody say suddenly. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled. Everybody say filled. Now say filled the whole house. Where they were sitting, verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Everybody say fire. That separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were... Second time we're going to say this word. They were what? Filled with the what? And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans. And if we keep reading here as we go down towards verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? And the media team doesn't have this verse, but verse 13 says, If you have your Bibles in your hands, some, however, made fun of them. Some, of, some people, in other words, laughed, and you could say, thought they were crazy, and they thought they had too much to drink. So in other words, they thought they were drunk. And Peter comes on the scene here, and he stands up with the 11, and he raises his voice, and he begins to speak to them, and he says, these people are not drunk. It's only 9 a.m., so they haven't been drinking. And he says, but this is that, that the prophet Joel spoke about. So in other words, Peter is closing a loop here. He is drawing, uh, uh, connecting the dots, if you will. Now let's skip down to verse 37. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other disciples, what shall we do? Peter replied, first of all, before we go to verse 38, everybody say this, what shall we do? So what shall we do with all of this that just happened? Like, we're perplexed. We don't know what's going on. What shall we do? And here's Peter's instruction. Peter replied, repent, be baptized, talking about baptism in water, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of, of, forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift. Everybody say the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, this promise is for you, it's for your children, and it is for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God 
will call. We just read the encapsulation of multiplication of the kingdom of heaven. In the Bible, nothing is multiplied without first being qualified. Why? Because we don't want to multiply the bad things. We don't want to speak multiplication over everything in our life. Is that correct? There's some things in my life I don't want to multiply. All right? So we pull the weeds and we want the fruit to multiply. Abraham in the Old Testament was not qualified to have more than one child until he was willing to give up the thing that he wanted the most. And God said, in multiplying, I will multiply you. So I have a question. Have you been qualified to be multiplied? Have you been qualified to be multiplied? In Acts 2, verse 38 that we just read a moment ago, Peter said and gave these instructions. He said, repent. Repentance is what we now call salvation. Repent. Accept the Lord as your Savior. And then baptized. He's referring to baptism in water. And then the third instruction that Peter gave was to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you saw that with your own eyes. The word filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in this passage, we see four of the major religions of the world. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, is the premise and the basis for four major religions of the world and others, but I'm going to point out four. The Catholic Church is repentance, confession. This is the cornerstone of their faith. The Baptist, we see water baptism. The Pentecostals, Acts 2.38, is the cornerstone of their organization. And their belief is, their cornerstone is the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Then we see the Calvinist movement where that verse ends in verse 39, last sentence, and it says, For all the Lord God will call. Calvinists believe you're predestined to be saved, and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it or to help that. A new version of Calvinism, and this word is used for other denominations and their beliefs as well, so not all under this word believe this, but there is a movement that I want to pastor you with a little bit for just a, just a second here, but there is a new version of Calvinism right now, and it's called the Reformed Calvinism movement. So in other words, no one has to tell anybody about Jesus. You were either chosen or you weren't chosen. To me, that is a convenient way of believing because it takes the go out of gospel. Okay? And I just want you to know up front, one community church doesn't believe that. Okay? We don't believe in predestination. We believe in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Can I hear an amen? So I'm going to put my stake in the ground on confession and repentance. That's the Catholic Church. I'm going to put my stake in the ground on water baptism. That would be the Baptist denomination and also the Church of Christ denomination. In fact, the Church of Christ denomination believes that you are not saved until you are baptized in water. We don't believe that here at One Community, okay? The Pentecostals are like, it's all about the Holy Spirit. And the Calvinists are like, no, it's all about if God calls you, so forget about the other steps that Peter mentioned. Now, One Community Church is not a denomination. We are what is called a non-denominational church, meaning 
uh, we do not associate necessarily or affiliate with another organization. We are what is called autonomous, so we're our own entity, okay? But we do have relationships with other churches and organizations. So I want to address with clarity the beliefs around the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and our church doctrine. So to do that, I have an illustration here in front of you for you to see. On my right is the representation of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. To my left is representation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize we have one gift. We should have had nine of them, okay? Because there's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, We should have nine fruits of the Spirit. However, I briefly counted, and we have 11. So we added two fruits of the Spirit. (laughs) But anyway, this represents the fruit. Isn't it amazing that there's nine fruits of the Holy Spirit? There's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? So we're going to use this as an illustration today. Um, Before I start this, though, I want to tell you I'm going to single out two different denominations today, and in no way am I trying to be dogmatic or negative towards these denominations, okay? I love people in these denominations. I have friends in both of these denominations. These are wonderful, glorious people, uh, people that I love. Wonderful people come from these denominations, and I look forward to spending eternity with them one day, okay? But I have to show you these two denominations so you can understand more about what our church believes here at One Community, okay? Uh, This is important. So I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit, but this is not necessarily my Holy Spirit message. So if you've got a a go-to person, a guru that you like on the subject of the Holy Spirit, that is not my target or my goal today. My goal today is to lay doctrine for our church and to show you what our church believes as it relates to the person and the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? Okay, so that's what I'm doing. So in no way am I being dogmatic, or any of those things towards these denominations. Again, wonderful people in these denominations. I could worship in these denominations and have worshiped in one of their services. However, I don't believe I could attend there regularly, okay? And I couldn't attend there regularly because I don't, my beliefs do not align with their doctrine. Does that make sense to everybody, okay? So again, wonderful people, and we'll go into that here in just a moment. So to do that, I need to introduce you to three very big words. And in no way am I trying to make you guys theological or, or all of that. I, that's not the purpose or goal here. But I do want you familiar with these words. So when you hear these words, you will have an understanding of these words. Is that okay? All right. The first word, big word, I want to give you today is the word pneumatology. Pneumo means breath. It means unseen life. It's where we get the word pneumonia. It's to breathe. The study of the Holy Spirit is the word pneumatology. Pneumatology. Here's a word I want you to write down. It's not one of the big words I'll give you. It's a word you know, but I want to give this word, and we're going to put it up on the screen, and it's the word spectrum. Spectrum. Do we have that? So keep that up there for just a moment. The two denominations that I want to talk about is the Baptist denomination and the Pentecostal denomination, because I think you can kind of see one community between these two denominations. Again, wonderful people. Uh, In both of these denominations, my wife was raised Baptist, so uh, she was filled with the Holy Spirit under my dad's ministry, 
and her family was. So I love the Baptists. I'm all about that. They're wonderful people. The Pentecostal people are wonderful people. In fact, if you like good preaching, you ought to go to a Pentecostal church. I mean, those guys can flat-footed preach. I mean, preach. And so I love the Pentecostals as well. But I want to talk about these, and I want to talk about these two ends of the spectrum, the fruit spectrum and the gift spectrum, okay? The Pentecostals would be on the gift spectrum. The Baptists would be on the fruit spectrum. So we're going to talk about that. Spectrum meaning not saved if you do or not saved if you don't. Baptists are on one side. Pentecostals are on the other side. I'll explain more in a moment. Baptists are on the fruit of the Holy Spirit spectrum. So this is Galatians 5, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control, all of those. There's nine in total. The fruits of the Holy Spirit is high, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is highly important. Now, the Baptist denomination believe this is a cornerstone of their belief system. They believe the Holy Spirit is something that happened a long time ago, but it is not for today. Okay, the Pentecostal spectrum. They believe you're not saved if you don't speak in tongues. Okay. There's two views on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders. There's one view called, this is the second big word I will give you today. There is one view called the sensationist view. You may have heard of that word, the sensationist view. Meaning the purpose of the miraculous gifts, signs and wonders was to confirm and authenticate the message of the apostles. Once the apostles died though, the gifts ceased. This is where they get the word sensationist. So any denomination on this end of the spectrum have a sensationist view. That was these, this right here, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That was for then, but it is not for now. Okay? This is important. And the Lord, help me orchestrate my words carefully here, okay? So no one misunderstand what I'm saying. And by the way, you need to hear the whole sermon. Don't take parts of my sermon and run with them, okay? You need to hear the whole message, and at the end, I'm going to tie all this up and pretty, put a pretty bow like this on it, okay? So hear me out. Holy Spirit, help me with the words here. It is important that we align, our families align, that our church, everything, our values, everything align together. So with that being said, if your children are in a Christian school, if your kids attend another youth group that is not here, these are very important things because the question is, does it align with you, your views, and does it align with your church's views, the church that you've aligned with and you attend? What church you attend is very, very important. I've had people say to me, we love one community, we attend every week, but our kids do better in this other youth group. Well, I have all kinds of questions, okay? But my first question and only question for today will be, what about the person of the Holy Spirit? Because they're not going to learn about the Holy Spirit in that youth group. They're going to learn about the fruits of the Holy Spirit, but they're not going to learn about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Sensationist view is that was for then, it is not for today. That's the sensationist view. I don't know about you, but in my relationship with God, what I've learned is God never does a great thing and then he stops doing it. This is an ever-increasing kingdom, not an ever-decreasing kingdom. Okay? 
So now we go to the next view, and this would be the continuationist view. Can we put that up? The continuationist view. The miraculous gifts right here remain active to this day. All of the gifts outlined in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12 are still given by the Holy Spirit and used by believers today. And at one community, we believe in the continuation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all for the amen. Now let's talk about the other end of the spectrum. So we've been talking about this spectrum. Now let's talk about this spectrum as it relates to the Pentecostals, okay? The Pentecostals believe you're not saved without the evidence of speaking in tongues. With this doctrine, you will not even be baptized in water until you've spoken in tongues. I have multiple issues with that, but my, one of my issues with that is it's not the order that Peter gave, okay? Peter said, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. This belief system puts the Holy Spirit, especially the evidence of speaking in tongues, before anything else. It puts it before repentance, and it puts it before water baptism. So they're highlighting the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially one of the nine gifts, which is the gift of speaking in tongues. We're not necessarily in agreement with that. We do not believe speaking in tongues is the um, necessarily is the first sign of the Holy Spirit. We believe it is the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit. It begins there, but we don't believe it necessarily ends there, and it is only one sign of nine. Okay? So, now we go to the other extreme, which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is the Baptist denomination. And one of the basis of their discipleship or of their discipleship is they believed everyone who is saved has already received the Holy Spirit. Okay? Here at One Community, we believe in what Jesus said. And by the way, if we're going to talk about doctrine and an expert on doctrine, I want to look at what Jesus said. So I'm going to refer to his words first. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will be with you and he will be in you. So we believe at one community there's a difference in those two words. He will be with you. That's receiving the Holy Spirit. In fact, you can't even be saved without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws you to salvation. Okay? So we believe we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, but we also believe there's another step to this. Why? Because Peter said there was, there is the word with and there's the word in. And I'll explain more in a moment. Now, if you're on this end of the spectrum, you believe the Holy Spirit is so powerful that He can save your life, wash away your sins, take you to heaven when you die, but the power stops there. Now, you got to think about that for a moment. It takes a lot of power to save your life, to wash away your sins, and to take you to heaven when you die. It takes a lot of power and a lot of faith to believe that. But somehow, the God of the universe has run out of power after that. Think about that. You don't believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. The Holy Spirit has been diluted, and there is no power. There's no power there. The gift spectrum emphasizes holiness. The fruit spectrum emphasizes wholeness. The gifts of the Holy Spirit emphasizes power. The fruit of the Holy Spirit emphasizes the practical. The gifts of the Holy Spirit emphasizes creativity and flow. The fruit of the Holy Spirit emphasizes self-control. So we see 
there's a difference between these two extremes. And what lies in the middle of these two extremes is two important questions. And also what lies in the middle of these two extremes is one community church. So I'm going to ask this question and I'm going to answer it in just a moment. Do you get the Holy Spirit when you're saved? And if not, do you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? I will answer that in a moment. Let's define receiving and getting. The path Peter gave was repentance. Everybody say repentance. Water baptism. And then you receive the Holy Spirit. Which begs the question, if there are steps Peter gave and it's repentance, water baptism, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, if you received and got all of the Holy Spirit uh, at, at salvation, why is there another step? Why did Peter list a third step? In other words, if, if, you, if, you, if you got all of it at repentance and water baptism, then wouldn't you have already received the Holy Spirit? Why was it one of the steps that Peter gave? So he starts with three steps here. He starts with repentance. Repentance is there's a holy God and I fall short. And when I look in the mirror at the presence of God, I see something in my life that is not God's best for me. Then when I choose to see this is not God's best for me, I confess, I repent, and I return to the top. That's what repentance means. I return to the top of God's best for my life. I'm not living in God's best for my life. In other words, I'm living at a lower level. It's a lower level of living, so I return to the top. When we return to the top, then we submit to the Lord in water baptism. We call it follow the Lord in water baptism. And by the way, the last weekend of November, we will have water baptism here, and we're about to open that registration up. And then it says we wait for the Holy Spirit. The disciples in the 120 that were seated there, they were waiting for something. They had repented. They had been baptized in water. And they were waiting in unity and obedience. Unity and obedience come from the fruit of the Holy Spirit. These are the things that are required to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is what's required. Another way to say that is repentance, baptism, and submission. I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to surrender on the altar. Now let's talk about this. There are levels of experiencing the Holy Spirit. How did Acts chapter 2 start? They heard a sound. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. That's the first expression of the Holy Spirit. Here's the other. They saw things, they heard things, and they felt things. So let me say that again. They saw things, they heard things, and they felt things. He manifested himself in the room. So just like there's a difference between received and filled, there is a difference in dwelling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So he filled the room. We saw unity, obedience, submission, active waiting and surrender. And then the Holy Spirit came upon each of them. And watch this. And he filled them individually. Is that what you read a moment ago? So write this down. Flesh is flammable. Flesh is flammable. In the spiritual sense, I lay myself down on the blazing altar as a sacrifice, not physically, but spiritually, and I surrender. And I told you in last weekend's sermon, the more of him I get, the more of me I surrender. So if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's all about the word surrender. I'm surrendering. I'm laying down myself. I'm laying down my ambitions. I'm laying down what I want. And I'm saying, Holy Spirit, you do what you want. Amen. I wait for the fire to consume the sacrifice. I am. My life is the sacrifice. 
So this morning, in the songs, in the verbiage of the songs, multiple times in the songs we sang this morning, we, the wording was, the verbiage was fire. Fire. The Holy Spirit is often referred to as fire. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, he fell like cloven tongues of what? Fire. Um, Matthew 3, 11, John the Baptist was, was speaking, and he said, there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to latch, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Not all the time. There's obviously exceptions to every rule. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, He does what He wants to do. So I can't say always, and I don't like to ever use the word always or never, but I will say a lot of, the, a lot of times the Holy Spirit will come when you're praying for people and you're ministering to people. You'll start watching them. They'll start sweating, and they'll go, man, it's hot. Why? That's the fire of God upon them. Oftentimes when I pray for people and I lay hands on people, and you saw that last weekend, we saw demonstrations of the Holy Spirit in our altar services. A lot of times when I pray for people, my right hand burns. It's like it's on fire. That's why the Holy Spirit is referred to as fire. And it's a refining fire. Can I hear an amen? You wait So in the months of April and May, Alicia and I took some time, and especially myself, and I I fasted and I prayed because I had come to a crossroads, and I said, Lord, what is the vision? Where are you taking One Community Church? What are you wanting to do here? And as I began to pray and as I began to seek God, God began to minister to me, and He said, Jason, this is what I want you to do, and this is where we're going, and this is where we're heading. I want you to take this church back to the deep, deep wells that built this church to begin with. The word that God gave me was, I want you to redig the wells of your fathers. Fathers, plural, and I'll unpack that another day. And one of them, one of the deep wells of this church and of our our fathers that helped found this church and get us to where we are, one of them is waiting for the Holy Spirit. The old timers used to say, tearing for the Holy Spirit. Not because we have an idea, but God has given us a picture, a picture about the next harvest for this church. And the cost of that is laying things on the altar, which is giving time to experience the Holy Spirit. And you've already seen that. You may not have known what was going on, but over the last few months, you have watched and you have noticed over the last few months, what we've been doing in our services is is now we are allowing room, we are allowing space for the Holy Spirit to come into this place and we make room for Him to come and do what He wants to do. We wait for Him. We tarry for Him. We we give space for Him to come and do what He wants to do. And you will see more opportunity uh, for that in the future. Write this down. The the experience of the Holy Spirit is not something you can control or something you can demand, but it's something that we make room for. Let me say that again. You can't control it. You can't demand it. But you make room for the Holy Spirit. So first He filled the house, and then He filled them individually. So there's a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the seal of salvation. Pastor Jay answered the question, do you have to have the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? My answer is yes, because you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. (laughs) Can I hear another amen? 
To me, the Holy Spirit is not a qualification for getting you into the pearly gates into heaven. It's about preparation for getting you to heaven. So do I believe if you don't speak in tongues and you get to heaven, God is going to kick you out? No, not at all. I don't believe that. And as a church, we don't believe that either. But we do believe if you're pursuing holiness and you're pursuing a word in the Bible called sanctification, then you should open yourself up to the gifts of the Holy Spirit that empower you and equip you to walk this Christian life and to do this thing that we call the Christian journey. Can I hear an amen? So we should want that. We should, the Bible says we should desire spiritual gifts. They will prepare you for heaven. Discipline is my number one strength. So if you go to strength finders and you do a strength test, which I have done multiple times, every time I take a strength test, my number one strength is discipline. I'm a very disciplined person. I live a very disciplined life. So I, I, discipline is easy for me. Like if, if you tell me I have to do something, I'll keep doing that forever. Like I'm just very disciplined in that way. That's my nature. That's how God made me. But as disciplined as I am, I don't know if I could do what I do if it were not for the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't think I could pastor. The, I don't think, I know. I, could, I, I wouldn't pastor. You couldn't pay me to do this. There is not enough money in the world that would pay me to do this vocation if it were not for the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. I, there, there would be, I would be, to do this job, you would have to be crazy. I'm serious. If it were not for the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what motivates me. That's what keeps me doing what I do. I have a prayer language that I pray in. Um, the, the book of uh, Jude has one chapter. Jude says, I pray in, in the Spirit, and it builds me up in the most holy faith. Corinthians talks about uh, praying in the Spirit, that it edifies us. I do this every day. It's part of my routine. It's part of my discipline. I pray in the Holy Spirit. It equips me. It empowers me. And you see that in our services. You feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're more familiar with the Holy Spirit than you think you are. And you feel Him. I hear people say, I felt something when I got out of my car. I felt something when I walked in the room. When I walked in the room and they began to worship, I could feel chill bumps. And when you would preach or you would talk, I felt something that was different. What was that you were feeling? You were feeling the person of the Holy Spirit. The presence, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? So the Holy Spirit comes, and, and I, I just don't know that I could do this. The calling and anointing on this church is to go deeper. And to go deeper, it requires every person, black, white, Hispanic, every culture, every background, every financial background coming together and saying, Pastor, this is what I want to. Can I hear an amen? One of the things the Lord is doing, and I don't know how this will work, and we're leading, being led by the Holy Spirit and when and how and if it happens or if it don't happen, I don't know. I can't answer all those questions, but I am saying to you, God is opening a door for one community church to reach the Hispanic culture. And, and God is opening up avenues. And a few, you know, a few weeks ago, we welcomed Luis into our church. And Luis is Hispanic. And Luis feels a call of God. Are you up there, Luis? If you are, wave your hand. Are you up there? There he is up there. He's in the balcony. Luis feels a call of God to take the gospel, to take the message that we preach at One Community to his culture, to the Hispanic culture. Can I hear an amen or glory to God or something? That God is opening up doors here at One Community for us to do that. But we all have to be on the same page. 
We all have to align our beliefs together. Can I hear an amen? So with that being said, the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to help us. Say these words with me. The Holy Spirit is to help us practically. Everybody say practically and spiritually. So in other words, you're doing what you can. You're here. You're surrendering. You're waiting. And the Holy Spirit says, you're doing what you can. Now let me do what you can't. I'm going to take what you're lacking and I'm going to take your natural and I'm going to add the supernatural to it. Now let me say something, okay? We have turned speaking in tongues and the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit into something it was never meant to be. It has become a taboo subject. It has become something that is weird. It, listen, what we just read a moment ago, it wasn't weird. It's not supposed to be weird now. It, it's not weird because it's practical. There's a practical application to these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. So it's not something weird. It's not something goofy. Can I hear another amen or something? Just to encourage me a little bit, okay? It's not weird. It's not goofy. You know, when people find out that we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, they kind of start walking to the other side of the sidewalk. You know, I've had people where I just wanted to walk up to them and go, boo. I'm a freak show or something. You know, I don't know. But it's not something to be weird. It's not something to be feared. To be feared. It's a gift. This is a gift. In fact, what y'all don't know is this gift is a gift to my grandson. He hadn't opened it yet. But this is his gift. Now me as a papa, would I give him a bad gift? Would I give him something that would hurt him or harm him or scare him? Absolutely not. So this is a gift. Everybody say a gift. So I have a question for you. And let me just say this before I go to this question. The gifts of the Holy Spirit were never meant to be extreme and polarizing like they are today. That was never the intention of the apostles or the, the, the Scripture. It was never supposed to be this polar, polarizing thing that divided the church. The enemy came into the church and he divided us on this subject. In fact, two subjects the enemy has come into the church to cause confusion in, and I think it's ironic that he chose these two. But he chose this one over here, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He made it something controversial. And then the other place that he's attacked the church is with finances. Why? He's stripping us of our power. Can I hear an amen on that? So he's stripping us from power. Why? He's scared of this. He's scared of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I have a question. What if I took this gift? Say, let's say you gave me this gift. You come up to me after church and you said, Pastor Jay, I have a gift for you. And you gave me this gift. I took this gift. This gift is now in my possession. Have I received it? Yes or no? I've received the gift. Have I opened it? No, but I've received it. So do you all see the difference in receiving and opening? Okay. So I've received this gift. I take this gift to my office, and I've got countless shelves in there. I've got two offices, really, and I've got all these shelves. I could go into my office, put this gift on a shelf, and never open it. And you come to me, and you say, hey, Pastor, did you like the gift? Now, remind me of the gift. Tell me about the gift. What color was the gift? What did the gift look like? And you start describing the gift to me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got that gift on the shelf. Have you opened it? No. 
Well, pastor, you should open that gift because that gift is going to be a practical application. It's going to be something that's going to help you. So let's pretend this box, this gift was huge. And let's say I've been cutting my grass in my yard with scissors. And in this huge box, this gift, you have given me a zero X mark lawnmower. Zero turn. Praise God. I feel that. Somebody's going to do that for me. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. I felt that in my spirit. Now, would it be foolish of me to not open that gift? And every week I'm out there in the heat cutting my grass with scissors. And you're like, you're a dummy. You have a brand new zero-turn lawnmower in a box, in a gift, and you've never opened it. You have no idea. You're scared. And I open it up. I'm like, oh, what is that? I only know scissors. That scares me. It's loud. It does turns and things and twists I'm not familiar with. Does that make sense to anybody? Have I received the gift? Yes. Have I opened the gift? No. When you receive a gift, there is an aspect. How many of you know, at birthdays and Christmas, how many of you know there's a, there is a waiting process? The kids are waiting. They have the gifts in front of them, and they're waiting for a parent to say, now go. And they just, right? That's what the Holy Spirit, there's an aspect of waiting and opening. The same with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Waiting and opening yourself up. Listen to me. Waiting and opening yourself up to the possibilities of the Holy Spirit. What He can do in your life. Most people want to stop with what they can control. Or they want to stay with what is predictable. It, it, it is not one or the other. So I want to clarify this. It's not one or the other. It's both and. We don't just need the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need both of these operating in our life. Can I hear an amen? So where is one community? Right here in the middle. We believe in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of the Spirit. And we believe in the practicality of the Spirit. Does that make sense? The dangerous part is to say it's only this way or it's only this way. And I'll just tell you, it is very dangerous to do that. To just say, it's only this way. I don't like to ever use the words always or never when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I'll never lock him into one thing or another. Okay? God is a big, big God. Okay? And so it takes both of these. The dangerous part is to say it's only one way. Especially if you've never had the experience or the expression of. I've sat with people who have all kinds of theological degrees. I've said I've had lunch with them. I've listened to their dissertation. Their, I've listened to their speech. I've watched them open their Bible. I've watched them open their Bible up and argue with me over my belief. I didn't argue with them. I just listened. And they would tell me all the theological reasons of why the gifts were for then, but they're not for today. And I'll listen to them. I've had lunch with them, and I enjoyed the lunch because they bought it. And man, I just sit there and ate and go, mm-hmm, yeah, that's great. Mm, that's good, yeah. And I just kept listening. And I was eating. I was enjoying the meal on their dime. And when I got done, when they or they got done, 
telling their story and all the reasons why the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit were for then and not for today, then when they're finally done and I realize they're finished and they don't have anything left, I look at them and I tell them about when I was 11 years old and God miraculously and gloriously filled me with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful story. I was saved at the age of eight, was baptized shortly thereafter in water baptism. When I was 11 years old, I walked up to my mom one night on a Saturday night. She was cooking for the next day for Sunday lunch. And I said, Mom, because my parents demonstrated this in the home. This was something that we practiced in the home. This is something my parents believed strongly in. And I watched them. I experienced it. I was raised in it. It didn't scare me. I saw things, heard things, felt things. When I was 11 years old, I walked into the kitchen one night, almost at midnight, which I find ironic. Midnight is significant in Scripture. (laughs) It was almost midnight. I walked into the kitchen and sat at the island bar where I always sit to eat our evening meals. Mom was cooking at the, um, she was around the sink area of the kitchen, I'll never forget. And I sat down and I said, Mom, I want to know more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to know more about the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And can you explain those to me? And boy, she beautifully explained things to me. And I was sitting there and she said, Would Jason, would you like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues? And I said, Yes, ma'am. She said, Okay, well, let's just start praying. So we began to pray. It was the first time in my life I ever got lost in worship. The first time I ever, I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's a place you can go and worship where it feels like God just raptures you up. And I was just an 11-year-old boy. And the Bible says, unless you become like a child, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Adults are too jaded. We're too, we become too intellectual as we get older. But I was, such, I was a child, and I had childlike faith. And you, said, you say, well, you were mimicking something. No, you didn't know me very well if you think I'm mimicking something. I'm not that guy. And so that she began to pray, and I began to pray. We began to seek the Lord, and I just remember I lift, lifted my hands, and I began to praise. She didn't even tell me to do it. I just lifted my hands, and I began to praise the Lord. And before I knew it, I was lost in worship, and tears were coming down my face, so just one after the other, just crying. And I was seeking the Lord, and my mom, I didn't know it at the time, but my mom went to the bedroom and woke up my dad, which is a no-no. You did not wake dad up. (laughs) But she went in there, and she got my dad. To show you how spiritual this moment was, my dad came into the kitchen in his boxers with no shirt on. (laughs) I can say that because he's gone, and you don't know what he looks like, so you can't get a mental image of that. (laughs) So he walks into the kitchen in his boxer shorts, and there was two entrances into their kitchen, the home she lives in today. He came through the, the entrance down from me. He came in, and when he came in, he said when he rounded the corner, he looked and he saw his baby boy with his hands lifted. He walked over to me, and when he walked over to me, I was sitting there at the island bar where I always ate supper every single night. I would sit here. My brother would always sit here. I was sitting there at the island bar, My dad walked over to me, and I never will forget, I could hear his words, and he said something to this effect. He said, Holy Spirit, I have fed him here at this table physically his entire life, but what he's hungry for tonight, I can't feed him. 
So I'm asking you to fill my baby boy with the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. When my dad's hand hit my forehead, I was gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in an unknown tongue. I'm telling you, from that moment to this moment, my life has never been the same. It marked my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. Shortly thereafter, in a pasture, in the middle of a horse pasture, with grass that tall, laying there one night looking at the stars, praying in the Holy Spirit. It was through that experience of praying in the Holy Spirit that God called me into ministry. I was about 12 years old when God called me into ministry. And it came through the yielding to the Holy Spirit and what He wanted to do in my life. So every time I hear their dissertation and I have lunch and I hear all the reasons of why it doesn't exist today, I always say the same thing. You may have a degree that tells you it doesn't exist, but I have an experience and an expression you can't argue with. You cannot argue with it. My papa used to say, my mom's dad, he used to say this. He was just a country guy. But he would say, always say these words. He would say, well, if he's not real, then somebody please explain what's going on on the inside of me because something's on the inside of me and I can't explain it. I can't articulate it. I can't describe it. But I'm telling you, something is alive on the inside of me. Something filled my life. Can I hear an amen? Ecclesiastes 7 verse 18 says, if we have that verse, throw it up. It is good to, uh, it is good to grow or to grasp, excuse me, one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Recognizing the person of the Holy Spirit is recognizing both the power of the Holy Spirit and the practice of the Holy Spirit. It is to embrace the coexistence of opposites. A plan is not what we need. A formula is not what we need. We need a counselor. We need the Holy Spirit. And a counselor will look at you and tell you exactly what you need when you need it. A real move of the Holy Spirit comes when we go against the natural tendencies. Somehow we've made it one extreme or the other extreme. People are either over here with the extreme gifts or they're over here with the extreme fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we've made these polarizing and opposites. And the person over here on the extreme of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues and they shout and they jump pews and they do all these things, but they love to gossip. They love to talk about other people. Do you see why we need both of these extremes? Because these people over here need some love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering. And these people over here need some gifts and some supernatural. Amen. Hallelujah. And somehow we've made this one extreme or the other. People on, on this extreme over here have trouble with this extreme of the Holy Spirit. They like control. Most of the time, not always, they live very controlled lives. Here's a question. What if the Holy Spirit wants to do something bigger than you? If you're in control, how can He do something bigger in you if you're controlling it? A book or a program or a formula or whatever won't cut it. We need the person of the Holy Spirit. We need real revival. We need it to sweep into this land. This city needs revival. This county needs revival. And the only thing that's going to bring that is not a church growth formula. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands. I feel Him in this room. Worship team, come. Worship team, come to the platform. God's fixing to do something in this room. 
Father, we praise you. We glorify you. We glorify you. We exalt you right now. Hallelujah. Let me wrap this up real quick. Everybody look at me. Keep the lights down. We're moving and transitioning into the altar time. Let me tell you something. Real revival is where the practical provides a container for the supernatural. It's where the the practical provides a container for the supernatural. I've seen churches, and you have too, and I've been a part of sovereign moves of God. I've witnessed in my lifetime sovereign moves of God where revival hit the local church. And the local church that held that revival was worse off after the revival than it was before. Why? The practical and the power didn't come together. And the container wasn't prepared, and the harvest was lost. So we need both the practical and we need the power. And what happens is if we have this extreme and we don't have the practical or we have this extreme and we don't have the gifts, then the container is not ready. And when the harvest comes and the people come and salvations come and a move of God come, then we're not prepared for the harvest. And it takes both of these simultaneously working together. We have seen, even here in El Dorado, we've seen this. We've seen a church and churches have a great move of God. We've seen miraculous things happen. And those churches don't even exist today. Or they're a shell of what they once were. Why? Because the practical and the power didn't come together. And one of the things that we face here at One Community is we've got people on this extreme or we've got people on this extreme. And what I'm telling you today is we've got to get back in the middle. And we've got to acknowledge that we need both of these gifts operating in our lives. And what happens is, and one of the things that we face is, is that when you want to have move of God, there, the container has to be ready for the move of God. So that means there has to be boundaries in place. That means there has to be church discipline in place. There has to be things that are in place to make room for the supernatural. Because if we only make room for the supernatural, then it becomes the Wild West show. And everything goes. But we haven't prepared. We we don't have the practicality of the gifts of the Spirit. And we need both of them in order. Can I hear an amen? Lord, I don't want the harvest lost. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 in the English Standard Version. It says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. In other words, they make fun of the moving of the Holy Spirit. Now with social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all of the social media platforms, you'd be hard-pressed to not scroll through there and find somebody showing a little short clip of a video and making fun of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But they're only showing you a clip. They're not showing you the whole service. They're just showing you a clip. And they're making fun and they're making light of the person of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, you are on dangerous ground when you do that. You are on dangerous ground. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. It's folly to them. It's foolish to them. The the, the people in Acts chapter 2 thought they were drunk. I have a question. Why do we glorify alcohol? We glorify it in this country. And and then we, we laugh when people get drunk and do stupid things. It's funny. See, that's the devil's. There's always a counterfeit to, to whatever God does. There's a counterfeit in the, in the spiritual with the enemy. And alcoholism and, and marijuana addiction and all those things, that is a counterfeit of the Spirit of God. That's why when you pull up at a liquor store, it says wine, liquor, and spirits. It's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit for the things of the Spirit. 
In fact, cussing, cursing, the, the vulgar language that is used, we celebrate that in our nation. You can't even watch a TV show without some type of vulgar content involved with language. In fact, they use it out of context. Alicia and I were watching a show the other day, and, and we, were, we, were, we finally got to laughing because we said they are trying to use vulgar. There, there was no reason for the vulgar language. They were trying to insert the vulgar language. Can I tell you that vulgar language, cussing, is the devil's tongue. It is the devil's counterfeit to tongues. That he wants you to get over there. There's always a counterfeit. It's folly to him, and he's not able to understand them with his logical brain. Why? Because the, what does it say here? 1 Corinthians 2.14, you can't understand it with your human brain because it says they are spiritually discerned. Your spiritual discernment, not your mental discernment. The Holy Spirit turns noise into language. He turns sound into song. And he turns information into transformation. Why should I want to receive the Holy Spirit? Because He's the how. He empowers us and equips us for the will of God. What does the Holy Spirit sound like, Pastor? I don't have time to open this can of worms, but I'll say real quick. What does He sound like? He sounds like your best ideas. He sounds like facing the things that you don't want to talk about. The enemy always sounds, here's the counterfeit, the enemy always sounds like agreeing with your physical need your emotional pain, and your intellectual fear. That's what the enemy sounds like. Let me say that again. The enemy always sounds like agreeing with your physical need, your emotional pain, and your intellectual fear. So if your internal voice is agreeing to cohabitate with sin, that is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will call you to accountability. Would you stand to your feet in this room as I close? Stand to your feet all over this room. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to join us next week for another encouraging message from Pastor Jason Yarbrough and One Community Church of El Dorado.